welcome to Revolutionary Women. My name is Tess Silverman. Women around the world are constantly creating ways to make a difference in their communities, and today's guest is no exception. My guest today is Rita Dave. Rita is a first-generation immigrant who arrived from India at the age of seven years old. After graduating from Queens College with a psychology undergraduate degree, she attended New York Law School and began practicing law in 1992. Having always worked for lawyers since the age of 14, she's participated in large tort and products liability litigation, and as a lawyer, her practice includes real estate, estate, and immigration. She received an honor in the United States Congress, and this tribute was read into the record on the floors of Congress. Rita's dedication to justice resulted in her practice focusing on actual innocence work, and she strives to help those who are innocent, falsely accused, and wrongfully convicted to regain their freedom. Her mission is to see that there is, in fact, true justice, and that presumption of innocence is not just a premise, but a reality. Hi, Rita. Welcome to Revolutionary Women. How are you tonight? Hi, Tess. I'm doing good. Thank you. Well, so glad to have you um, on the show. So I would like to ask you, um, I have a couple of questions, but can you just give us a brief summary of who you are and then we can go from there? Okay. Um, I'm, it, it's so funny. I start off with, I'm an attorney, even though I don't know that that fully defines me, but uh-huh. uh, in a way it does. So I'm an attorney, I'm a wife, I'm a mother, um, a daughter, a sister, I mean, all of the above, all the roles that us women generally play mm-hmm. and hold. Mm. Wow. Well, okay. And so I read that you are, you were born in India and then immigrated to the U.S. at the age of seven. And you grew up in Flushing, where I came from. That's how we met. And yes. um, But you went to high school in Brooklyn? I didn't know that. And then raised yeah. in Long Island. Huh. No, no, no. So... When we were all still in Flushing, um, I took the test for Brooklyn Tech because another one of our mutual friends, um, Radhi, asked me to take the test with her on a Saturday. Um, I got into tech, and so then I went to Brooklyn Tech for a while until my parents left Flushing and moved to Long Island. Got it. And then I I, I could no longer commute to Brooklyn, and so then I had to go to the local high school. Oh, okay. Got it. So, um, So you're an attorney, as you said. Um, were your yes. parents involved in the law themselves? No. Um, my father is a, um, was a statistician, mm. and my mother worked um, had her PhD from India in, in um, Sanskrit and language. Oh, wow. And then in the United States, she was a um, she worked for the Human Resources Administration. Oh, wow. Okay, I was just you know I was curious because every time. I have a guest and they have their career, they talk about their career. I always wonder whether the parents had inspired them to be where they are, you know. Um, and in your case, I did you want to be an attorney when you were young? So I had always wanted to be a doctor. Really? Okay. I was pre-med most of the way through college. Oh, geez. Um, physics was my, my barrier point. Uh, but I had always worked for lawyers since the time I was 14. Huh. And I knew how to draft documents. And I have, had been doing it at such an early age so that when I decided to make a shift out of pre-med, mm-hmm. law just seemed to be the, huh. the right path. 
Well, how, okay, so at age 14, you were already working for lawyers. How did that come about? When you, you know, were... you're in high school, you get your working papers. And oh. the first job I had was as a clerk in, for a lawyer in, oh. you know, in Mineola. Um, so that's how, that's how it began. And then after that, because I just had experience, you know, I stayed with the firm, went to a different one, and then they like split off and then they took me with them oh. all the way through law school. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that's really amazing. Okay, so, um, so you are you have your own firm? Is I do. I've been in my own practice for over probably about 24, 25 years. Wow, holy cow, that's a lot, and that's a long time. And yeah. so, what cases do you usually handle, and what are the memorable cases that you could? talk about? Or, or is there one memorable case that you could talk about? Well, for, so so the practice is, is quite general. You know, as a solo, you, you have to be in a position to be able to um, take in different types of cases. Not, not that you are involved in, you know, not that you spread yourself thin in the sense of being the jack of all trades, but mm-hmm. um, I, did a lot, I do a lot of real estate. Um, I do immigration work. Um, mm-hmm. It just flows from, you know, the fact that our communities have um, are very minority based, and so there are always some immigration issues that clients have. Mm. Um, but I started to do wrongful conviction work in 2000, roughly 2000, um, 98, 99, and as a result of that, I just started to do a lot more wrongful conviction work. And so now, really? the okay. bulk of my practice um, doesn't involve wrongful conviction work. And why were you attracted to wrongful conviction work? Or was it just something that happened and then it just kept building on that? Yeah, it, it, you know, I had been, um, I had done, some, I was doing some criminal defense work. Um, I had um, been exposed to a case for someone that I knew that had been falsely accused and wrongly convicted. Oh, wow. And it opened up my eyes to a part of our system that honestly, I didn't, I didn't think existed. I would have mm-hmm. never thought it existed in our country. Mm-hmm. And so then that led me to, of course, fighting that case, uh, fighting, you know, and then working on criminal justice reform as a result of that case. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, after that, you know, um, I ended up working on, on other wrongful conviction cases. And once you exonerate one or two people, yeah, then it, you know, everyone, you know, you just get a lot of phone calls. Wow. I mean, in a way, you're really like saving people. So, uh, you know, what's that's pretty amazing. You're saving people from Thank being you. wrongly convicted. That's amazing. Um, do you still do any immigration work? I, I'm asking because I was wondering whether you were you had cases during the Muslim ban in you know during the Trump presidency. Um, so it's interesting. I still do immigration work mm-hmm. during the Trump presidency. I did not. But however, after 9-11, mm-hmm. one of my employees um, was an Afghani Muslim, um, wonderful young man, just uh-huh. a fantastic young man. Uh-huh. And he had, you know, they had been looking for him simply because of his name. Oh, wow. um, and I had to, you know, he was in, in fear for his life at the time. And I of course then had to sit down with the um, the agents and and him, mm-hmm. and we went through everything, and then ultimately they left him alone. Wow! But yeah, 
That was a scary time. So how long did that last before they finally left him alone? Well, I think after, you know, it was good in the sense that after they went to his house a few times and then I called and we set up the meeting, once they met with me and him, they realized that he's he's just a kid. He's Mm. just a young man. And then they they left him alone and they left his family alone. Oh, my goodness. So a lot of for the wrongful conviction cases, Uh are a lot of them um, racially profiled cases? Uh, Is it racially uh, motivated? Well, you know, the the there are certain segments of our population that tend to um, take the better part of what our system entails, right? Mm-hmm. The, the prisons are filled with black and Latin men. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it, it, it's, of course, a problem in the system that they are profiled much more than I think that the average, you know, for lack of a better word, um, Caucasian person. Mm-hmm. But the majority of my wrongful conviction cases where I've exonerated people, they have all been black male. Mm-hmm. Um, only one has been a Caucasian, a white guy, um, who did um, about eight or nine years for an arson who didn't commit. But otherwise, everyone has been black or Latino, and Mm. everyone has done decades and decades in prison. Oh, my goodness. Decades and decades. Does that ever, you know, do you ask them? I mean, how, you know, since it's been decades, do they ever feel like, you know, they're, they're never getting out. And for you, is it emotionally draining and, you know, dealing with cases that, you know, you're fighting for their lives? Does it ever get to be draining for you? It's devastating. Mm. It's devastating on a regular basis, day after day, week after week, month, year after year. It's it's just an endless struggle and pain. Mm. Um because it, you just don't know if you'll prevail. Mm-hmm. And so what you see is clear evidence of someone's innocence or clear evidence that they should not be incarcerated mm-hmm. is not necessarily what the prosecution sees. Mm-hmm. And so the battle is just, it's just brutal. Wow. I, I mean, I just don't understand if, well, I guess there there's a, has to be a lot of... Um, I guess you have to present a lot of, um, I, I guess, a lot of, um, what am I, what word am I trying to get? Um, you have to make sure that they are innocent, but is it really yes. hard to do so um, when the other side feels that they're, they are guilty? Well, so what often happens is, and, and so, for example, in, in the case that I just won in Queens, where three men got out after 24 years for a double homicide they didn't commit. 24 the years? Three, oh my goodness, I'm sorry to interrupt, but 24 years. 24 years. And two of those three are my clients. Wow. And of those, one was 21 when he went in, oh. and the other was 35-year-old businessman, father of four, husband, you know, um, didn't even know the other two guys. Wow. So in that case, I had been on it for years since mm-hmm. 2012. Oh and it was only in 2021. So all of 2020, we worked very collaboratively with the DA's office with DA Katz and 
I have to say that it was a uh, fantastic process. Mm. And then they were exonerated in 2021 after a very extensive review. Jeez. But you don't get that that often, right? Oh, so, yeah. um, oh my but gosh. in that case, yeah, there were there were moments where I would tell my clients, "Don't worry, guys. Next mm-hmm. year we're gonna get there. We're gonna get there." And I said that for nine years. Wow. Nine years, I said that, um, and then we made it. Yeah, kudos to you, and and thank goodness that they are out. But yes, it's it has to be. I mean. F- doing this day in and day out and I know your heart is in it obviously and you're very you know you're you're very committed to doing this but at at some point do you wonder like why why is this so why why does it have to be so hard oh every day we ask that Mm. and I think Mm. I mean if, if if there was a prosecutor or a DA that was willing to answer that if Mm -hmm. there was someone who could explain to me why it's so hard Mm -hmm. why we all you know dig in our heels so much Mm -hmm. I would love to have an answer to that but Mm. that seems like that age-old question you know one that we probably will never have an answer to wow holy cow I think we fight for the sake of fighting we we dig in our heels and yeah you know and and that's crazy do whatever we can to keep our position where it is even if it means to lie cheat mm. you know with mm-hmm. documents wow. and I think that's a different battle that we fight too you know wow were you ever are you ever do you, have you ever been um connected with the innocence project for cases like no that? okay no so I know I know of course I've I've met Barry Shack. I I you know um Nina Morrison from the IP they're they're all amazing amazing Mm-hmm. Innocence Project does DNA work, and I don't do DNA work. Mm-hmm. I do strictly okay. um, non-DNA cases. Okay. Wow. Is that harder to prove, non-DNA cases? Well, obviously, sure. with, you know, because you, you've been doing, for one of these cases, it was like 24 years. That's in, that's insane, you know. So a lot of those non-DNA cases are single, often single eyewitness. Mm-hmm. They're... Um, you know, false witness. Um, And so those are much, much harder to prove. You know, you could have a a rape case where um, I have a rape case where poor man did 25 years. Um, And then the girl now told me she doesn't even know who touched her. Um, And I don't even think it was a rape, but she doesn't even know who touched her because it was at night and she could never identify him. And she told the police that. Oh, wow. Um, Oh, and yet my client was arrested and did 25 years and, and his life is devastated and ruined. Wow. Do you keep in touch with your clients that have um, successfully been exonerated? Yes, always. Okay. Everyone pretty much becomes a part of your family. That's really amazing. That's really incredible. You know, I mean, for someone who started off with pre-med and then getting into <laughs> law you know and now you're this like incredible warrior for these for these um these people who have been i guess you know charged with crimes that they they haven't but they haven't that they, they've never committed um correct was so was there an aha moment for you um when you started this it just kind of flowed after the the one the first case that I was exposed to. Um, like I said, that was close to me. Mm-hmm. I 
it kind of opened up my eyes and then that led to me becoming more involved and then mm-hmm. becoming more politically active mm-hmm. to working at making changes in the system to then, you know, someone else, someone else contacting me and me helping them. And, and, you know, it just sort of flowed. And then now before I could even think back now, 21 years, 20 something years have elapsed. And here mm. I am. Wow. Um, I don't even know how it got to where, where it got to. <laughs> uh, well, because you've been busy. <laughs> you, you've been quite busy, which is incredible. Um, so can you mention a time when you thought you needed to do something that could affect your life and others? Um, I think that when I first got exposed to the criminal system and then I saw you know, the, the prison population in, uh, in, in Rikers Island. And I Mm. saw so many young kids, um, either parts of gangs or, or falling, you know, falling by the wayside. Uh, and I had started, I had helped actually a couple of them, uh, whether it was to get jobs when they came out or to help them go, you know, move away. That's kind of when, I started to realize that I really liked this work and mm. I just, it, you know, I was a go-to person, you know, like anytime someone needed anything, mm-hmm. even if it was a phone call, they'd be like, Oh yeah, call Reed. She'll tell you the number. You know, it's mm. like, um, and the joke was, you know, what well, I don't, not AT&T, right? Like, um, <laughs> yeah, but sure. I just happened to always know someone somewhere or have mm. something somewhere or right. find a way to get something for someone. And so it just sort of led the path for mm. for how I how I functioned. Wow. Um, okay, that's great. And okay, so I mean, you and I grew up in Flushing, and you grew up in Brooklyn. Did you see a lot of injustice injustice where you grew up? I mean, I grew up in the same place you did, and I guess I was naive enough to think that I wasn't. I didn't see that much, or maybe I, I just didn't wasn't, either. Yeah, or I wasn't paying attention enough. I don't know. But do, do you think it's just gotten worse over the years with, you know, I don't know. Is it just the, I don't know if it's gotten worse or uh-huh. is that as we get older, we are more in tune with our feelings and mm. more, uh, more sort of awake mm-hmm. um, and, and understand what's going on around us and don't necessarily, you know take things for granted i think when we were little and flushing we just played right yeah, we played yeah, outside we exactly went to school, we hung out right i mean i remember being seven or eight and having a young girl that used to go to school on the same path as me and she was definitely mentally challenged physically disabled mm-hmm. and she used to be abused mm-hmm. by kids and mm-hmm. i remember i distinctly remember being so little but telling her to walk with me mm. and making sure that she walked with me so that nobody would bother her. I mean, and I don't know what I would do. And I was a teeny <laughs> tiny, whatever. Yeah. 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 I was the shortest one in class, right? All the time. Um, yeah. I get it. Yeah. But, you know, so I, I don't ever recall seeing that. And I don't even recall that in high school. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe not even college. Okay. Yeah. You know, and, and it's funny, you know, growing up, in that environment, I mean, I, you know, it's like I, I always felt safe walking home. I always mm-hmm. felt safe going out at night with my friends, of course, you know. 
So yeah, yeah. maybe it is because as you get older, you get more aware, you become more aware, and you become yes. more woke, I guess, to what's going yeah. on. Um, mm-hmm. But I have to, I have to say, I, I got a chuckle when you were saying that you were this little thing dragging or, or <laughs> like you know walking with this other little thing, and I'm like, oh, even back then she was already <laughs> fighting for injustice. I love it. Fighting against injustice. So and I, it's like a, a vision that's etched in my brain. Like mm. I remember this poor girl, you know, this tall, skinny, lanky girl mm. crying and running. And oh. and now that I think back, it's like I, I, I was closer <laughs> to the ground than I was. <laughs> yeah, what could you have done? Well, you could have asked someone to help you, of course, you know, back yeah, then I maybe. <laughs> but that's so funny. I like that image, though. It's like, okay, well, even back then she was already like, you know, fighting against injustice. <laughs> That's so yeah, cool. Clearly, huh? That. Clearly, clearly, it was in your it was in your nature. It's in your blood. Yeah. So it's in my blood. <laughs> it's sure. in your blood for sure. Yeah. So, um, what with the pandemic and everything, was your caseload affected by it? Oh yeah, I mean, I think for the most part, most of the business mm. was gone. Right? You mm-hmm. nobody was really buying houses. Nobody was doing closings. Mm-hmm. Immigration was at a halt. Yeah. Um, most people were hunkered down. So. Yeah, you didn't, you know, business had drastically slowed down. The wrongful conviction work, you still have your cases, but no one's going out there to investigate. Your investigators are not pounding the pavement. Mm -hmm. Neither are you. Right. And the courts were closed, too, right? And the courts were closed. Right. Are they they already open? Are they open? They are now starting their opening. Um, It's not back to full speed. Mm -hmm. Um, Since 2020, when the pandemic started... Mm -hmm. I've set foot in court once, and that was on June 4th to exonerate my two guys. Wow. Otherwise, I have yet to be in a courthouse. Oh, my gosh. So do you... Everything is virtual. Oh, everything is virtual. Okay. Wow. That has to be... Uh, that has to be tough, like, having to, like, speak to people you need to speak to about your case, you know, and then getting uh, to make sure that your clients are getting the help that they need. That has well, you to know, it's interesting... On, on the immigration end, immigration is now starting to open up a little. And, and, and that part of my practice is, you know, is very selective. Mm. Um, for the criminal defense work, like the actual criminal defense work, mm-hmm. the prosecutors are great. You mm. speak to them on the phone, you work out your stuff, your mm-hmm. client, you know, you take, if your client's taking a plea or if there's a resolution, mm-hmm. everyone appears by Zoom. Um, I frankly love it. I will mm. say that I don't miss the running around from court to court or... <laughs> Subways. Yeah, I could imagine. I love being on my on my dining table. <laughs> <laughs> and getting work done. Getting work yes. done right there. That's yes, awesome. exactly. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, it's, it's really interesting because you're, you know, in a way, the pandemic has kind of made it um, access available, uh, available yes. to, to everything. So, Correct. you know, whether you, you didn't have to be in person anymore. So you could, and maybe you're... Yeah you're so much more able to get to or finish what you need to do or, you know, like finish all the, sure. all the um, things that you need to do for your clients. So that's really right. cool. Because you're not traveling yes. four hours a day, three hours a day. And I think 2020, you know, the pandemic forced, at least for me, and I don't know how this was for other, other women, mm-hmm. it forced me to rest. Um, so ah. where I had maybe potentially burnt out and fully crashed in the few years prior, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 2020 forced me to rest because there wasn't much happening. Yeah, interesting. Someone else, another guest of mine said the same thing. It gave us 
that it actually forced us to pause, mm-hmm. which is great, you know, because yeah. we are so um, inclined to keep going and you know keep to keep going and just like Correct. not stop. So yeah, yeah, I mean. After 25 years of doing this, I would think at some point you'd be like, okay, hold on. <laughs> I think I need to like step back a bit. So in a way, the pandemic kind of helped that way. Oh, sure. Because, yeah. but, you know, we, st- we were able to work this case mm-hmm. um, remotely. That's and great. so while it was a pandemic and while things were shut down and while a lot of us were just not working, mm-hmm. we still were able to work this case with the DA's office all through 2020 part of 2021 Mm -hmm. um and then resolve it so wow that's great yeah that's really awesome um so is there well i I have one more question with everything Mm -hmm. that's going on in afghanistan are you at all um involved in that or or you're not really in in that uh scope of of work no, I'm not involved in that at all. Okay. Um, obviously, I have some friends that are Afghani or mm. um, or people that have families there. But mm-hmm. other than that, no, I have no I have no involvement. Wow. Have they have they said anything to you about what's going on? I mean, I'm only curious because I'm like, it, it just happened so quickly. You know, it's like, yeah, holy cow, you know, within a day. It's like what? in the blink of an eye. Yeah. yeah. And I just feel for the women and children, especially the women and children. You know, I mean, yes, families, of course, but women and children are the ones who are, they are targeting viciously. And I'm like, I, you know, what can we do? But I mean, okay, that's, that's definitely for another, <laughs> that's for another day. But I was just Most curious definitely. to see whether you, um, you know, whether you had any, uh, I guess, any point of no. view regarding that. Okay. No, I have I have colleagues that are mm. are trying to see how they can help out with that, but they're they're heavy immigration folks, and okay. you know they do a lot of um, asylum and, mm-hmm. and and refugee work. So okay. they're wow. really the pros pros yeah. in all of this. Yeah. yeah. Well. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Well. Okay. So, is there a person or people you would give credit for where you are now? Um. Yeah. So I think that I have my my drive from my mother, who mm-hmm. was just this amazing woman who grew up in India at a time when girls couldn't go to school and who fought all the way and then came to the U.S. with me. Really? I, huh. I am who I am, I think, because of my husband mm-hmm. and his way of thinking and his strength and support and... My daughter, who I see be so incredibly humble and jovial despite mm. difficult times or hard times and who kind of gave it to me when I was working too much or didn't pay attention and mm. never kind of let me, you know, let me slack off mm-hmm. and not know that maybe that I wasn't paying attention to, to the family or to us. So in that regard, yeah, and, and, and my sisters, my family, my extended family, mm. I have the most amazing support base. And I feel like they all define me. Like, they all made me who I am today. Um, That's amazing. I, love I have the that. most amazing friends. I know you for God knows how long. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> you know? For sure. 
Oh my gosh, yes, we've we've had our we've had our trials and all that stuff and good good yeah. times and good times and bad for sure. Exactly, exactly. So I think that at every stage in life different different individuals that were in our close circle mm-hmm. really mold us and and shape us in what we do, you know. Yeah. For sure. Um and I remember my husband saying to me once, if you're going to fight make sure that you could remain strong and keep fighting. Because if you can't, someone else is relying on you, then don't even begin. Mm. And wow. I, that, That's amazing. I never forget that. Yeah. But okay, so let me go back to your mom, though. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. So wait, so your mom left India at what age? My mom left India, let's see, I was seven. So she must have been 30 something. Oh, wow. Um, early 30s when she left India. So my dad came first uh-huh. and then my mom and I followed. Wow. Um, and she was instrumental in my father applying for immigration to America because really? she was adamant that mm-hmm. the opportunities that a girl should have in school and in society, I would not have if we remained in India. Wow. Um, and so her goal was that she was going to bring me here and wow. she did. And she was so forward thinking even back then. That's amazing. So she, forward thinking. I, I love she that. She is a total renegade. I love total that. Renegade. She's a badass. <laughs> She's a badass. <laughs> I love that. Please tell your it's like I, I would love that. It's, uh, oh, my gosh. Is she, is she still around, your mom? Yes, she is. And oh, my she's gosh. still a badass. <laughs> I love it. Please tell her I said that. <laughs> I will. That I is will. so cool. I love hearing stories of women who were just, like, breaking the mold and making sure, you know, they, they have they have their sights set on a future that no one can even fathom, you know? Yeah. Yeah, she was one of nine kids, wow. the oldest girl. Huh. And her father was a doctor. Her grandfather was, I think, a lawyer, actually. Huh. Um, her brother was a lawyer. Uh-huh. And, you know, for her, she wanted to go to school from the time she was little. And, you know, by the time you're in middle school or high school age, mm-hmm. girls don't go to school. You stay home. You cook. You clean. You take care of. Wow. And she fought. And mm-hmm. so she did all her chores, mm-hmm. which meant waking up at 4 a.m. and lighting the primus for the, the cold stove for the hot water wow. for her father and grandfather. But after everything, she studied from midnight to 2 a.m., then slept and then got up again. Wow. That's so, amazing. That's what, a, what an incredible story and an incredible person. Jeez. Yes. No wonder you are the way you are. <laughs> If, no I, wonder. if I am anything good, mm-hmm. it's from her, mm. for sure. Oh, my gosh. And I'm sure she would love to hear that. And, you know, it's so amazing to me that, you know, it's funny because we, I, I love hearing stories about women whose mothers made such an impact on them without even knowing, probably, you know, mm-hmm. that, okay, well, okay, she had that life and this is my life. But at some point, they all converge because you become the person you are because in the back of your mind probably it's like well okay my mother can you imagine she what she went through <laughs> you know correct so correct. but that's correct. that's incredible i love that and it's you know it's uh, difficulties at different times maybe yes, it's yes. it's different lifestyles but it's the same adversity in the sense that you you stand up against the adversity or you let it control you mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And For I sure. think that that's, that's what comes at you, you know, and, and she gets it from her family, right? Her mm. mother came from a very poor household. Mm-hmm. I believe her father 
I believe her father le left the mother and her out of the house because she couldn't have a son, I believe. Oh, my gosh. And they were so poor, and, and they made money by making straw straw platters. Like, oh, jeez. Um, and that's how they made money. So, I mean, you're talking about women that were industrious in the most difficult of times mm -hmm. under the most oppressive and male-oriented societies. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's in your genes, I think. Yeah. Jeez. That's crazy. But that, that's so wonderful to hear. Um, so, okay, since we're on the topic of, of family, and I'm, is your family okay with during the pandemic? Is everybody okay? Yeah. Okay, good. Everybody's fine. Great. Um, that's great. Yeah. Only myself and my sister had COVID. Oh, wow. Um, and we were quarantined, so we have no idea how that happened. Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> wow. But, yeah, no, everybody's fine. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. I mean, is it still bad in India with regards to the pandemic and lockdown? I know in India it had been very bad. Um, okay. My uncle just passed away from it. Um, oh, so, yes, you told we me We had this. been in Guyana yeah. at the time of the pandemic, and... We had been quarantined pretty much, so mm. um, we all just kind of stayed within our own confines mm -hmm. and hung out at home. Okay. Wow. Well, thank you so much for telling me about your mom. I love that. That's that's something I don't think I ever knew about her. That's amazing. It's yeah, like, oh thank, you. thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I love it. Okay, so what are your personal goals at this moment? Well, to continue to exonerate people. Hmm. but do it in a way where I can still spend a lot more time with my family. Hmm. Um, okay. And then I also want to be able to travel. Um, mm -hmm. Egypt is my dream, so that has to come. So I think that I have to temper my work with a balance, you know, mm -hmm. with a personal family and health balance, yeah. which I didn't do for about the 30 years that I've been a lawyer. <laughs> Yes. Okay. So I think it's now you can catch up on that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, so. think I, I have to. <laughs> so what are your goals for the legal community you're involved in? If we can make some more changes in the criminal justice system to allow, to, to try to have advocacy and, and make legal changes so that wrongful convictions become few and far between. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very heavy task, but yeah. that's my goal. Do you think it's and, possible? And I'm making it incremental tests. It's ah, an incremental goal. Okay. I was going to say, I mean, do you think it'll be possible within, I don't know, the next few years? I mean, we're, you know, it's... In the next two years, I have three more guys that I have to exonerate. I've been working on their cases for over eight years. Wow. The one that did 25 years for the rape he didn't commit. Uh -huh. I have one that's been in for 32 years that I... And I have another what? one that did 25 years. Rita, this, so, is, this is a lifetime for them. Holy cow. Yeah, yeah. And so if you ask me for my short-term two-year goal, visit Egypt. Mm-hmm work from home with my family around me, mm -hmm. and hopefully exonerate these three individuals. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I, I can't even imagine, you know, but I really do hope you, ex you get them exonerated. That's just, I, I, there, are no, there are no words. It's, like, really amazing that the, it, it's not amazing. I think it's, it's horrific 
that they have to it go is through this for yeah, so long. Right. Because they've all been in since they were young, young men, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and mm-hmm. hopefully we'll have more, more support. We'll have more volunteers. Mm-hmm. We'll have people that want to help us. Yeah. You know, we do this all pro bono. So, right. Um, or if we can get some funding, but I need to be able to spend time on that. And so I think that's, that's yeah. another little aspect to the next two years. Okay. So is there a way for others to get involved with your... Um, oh, of course. We okay. welcome volunteers anytime. I mean, you know, someone willing to read tra- uh, trial transcripts and, and summarize them for us. It, the more some we help we have, the more cases we can look at, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Um, investigators right now, guys that I know that are retired police officers will help us with some of the investigation. Oh, wow. Okay. So, sure, any volunteer work, always, always a blessing and always a plus. So my question, next question is, um, have wrongful convictions gotten uh, increased over the years or has it, 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 I mean, has it always been like a lot of, a lot of... They're coming to light now. Really? A okay. lot of the ones that we've done stemmed from the 90s, oh, um, okay. 96, 95, 94 convictions, you okay. know, uh-huh. that whole era. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay, well, I was just, yeah, I, I wondered about that. Okay, so, mm-hmm. oh boy, you have work cut out for you, miss. I mean, but it's, I know. It, I but know. it's amazing. It, it, what you're doing is really incredible. Um, and I, I kudos Thank to you, you and, and keep going, you know, because you, you really are. Uh, you're, you are definitely, you know, if I could say this without, <laughs> it's like, but you are definitely a badass. <laughs> It's like, <laughs> and so glad to be a friend of yours. So glad to be such close friends with you. Yeah, you know, because Thank you are you. doing so much, you know, for for people who really need your help, which is Thank incredible. You. Okay, so Thank is there you. is there anything you want to say to the listeners? No, I think you covered it all. <laughs> if you hadn't okay. asked the questions, I wouldn't have even known to think, say all the things that I did. <laughs> You're amazing. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, well, you know, I, I really love getting to, like, getting deep with my guests because there's mm-hmm. always something there that, you know, they probably didn't think of, of, like, asking or answering. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, this is something I really want to know. <laughs> so right, I right. hope you can answer it. Um and so what can you say to young people who might want to get involved, like volunteer work? You know, are young people, do you think young people um, are already involved in that process or, or you still have to somehow get them in there? I think a lot of it depends on exposure, right? Like mm-hmm. look at us growing up and yeah. in, in our teens, we didn't know to do these things, right? But now you'll see with a lot of the advocacy with social media. Oh, yeah. Um, there's a lot more young folks that are becoming active and mm-hmm. are becoming involved. Mm-hmm. And you hope that, that and anything that they do, I think the key is that you have to do it wholeheartedly and you have to be true to what you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Don't just stand up for a cause because you think that's the right cause. Right. Make sure you feel it, believe it, have analyzed it, and then fight for it. I love it. That's great. So... Is there one thing that you wish you had done years ago that you wish you could change? And what would that be? 
I think the probably take care of myself. Mm. I didn't do that. Mm. I didn't do that at all. Mm-hmm. I don't think in the 25 years I ever stopped to take care of myself. Right. And I don't just say that lightly. I literally didn't. I was on a on a blinders mission mm-hmm. of all the things that I was doing. So I think that by failing to do that, I, I let my health lapse. Mm. So right. that's probably my biggest regret. Mm. Well, it's not late. It's not too late, for sure. No, I agree. And, so. you know, also with all the working, you, you're, I think, you know, you're always there for your family, but... Mm-hmm. You feel like you missed out on things, you know, and so that's why my goal for the next two years is whatever work I do has to be where my family is and, mm-hmm. and to being around them so that I don't miss out on anything. I love that. Okay. So my last question is, what advice would you tell your younger self? Balance. Hmm. And try to figure out what you liked or don't like. Mm-hmm. I know now at 55, I love investigation. Mm-hmm. Love it. Mm-hmm. If I knew that 30 years ago, I may have gone, not gone to law school and I may have gone into investigative work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that give yourself the ability to be exposed to different things. Don't say no to things for the sake of, nah, I don't like it or nah, I'm not going to like that. Mm-hmm. Try it. Yeah. Give different avenues the option or the available, you know, like make yourself available to that because you never know what you might like. And then you may end up having a more fulfilling life. Oh, thank you. I love that. Oh, Rita, thank you so much for spending this time with me and, and for sharing your stories. And I love your mom. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Please tell, <laughs> thank send you, her Tess. my love. And I will. I, I can't wait to hear more about you know, the next two years and, you know, exonerating these three men and good luck with that. And I wish you, you so much good luck with that. And, and, and I, I'm sure you. you will do it. And I can't wait to hear about it. Um, and I hope that you will, you know, continue to do what you're doing and take still take care of yourself. You know, Definitely. make sure. Okay. That's the plan. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, have a good evening and I will talk Thank to you, you soon. Okay. Thank you so much. Have a good night. You too. That's our show for today. I've posted more information about Rita Dave on RevWoman.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll tune in every Thursday for another episode of Revolutionary Woman. You can listen to Revolutionary Woman on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Just a little note. I've launched a Patreon account to support the show. All proceeds will go to producing and editing the episodes to give my poor husband a break for being my personal IT and production department. He wrote this. The address is patreon.com slash revwoman. <laughs>